Hi, it's Amy Newmark, and this week I'm presenting to you three of my favorite episodes from last summer about the power of positive thinking, saying yes to new things, and pursuing your passions. Changing your life one story at a time. This is the Chicken Soup for the Soul podcast with Editor-in-Chief Amy Newmark. Hey, it's Amy Newmark, and it's Friend Friday on the Chicken Soup for the Soul podcast. Today, I'm going to introduce you to Susan Panzika, who is really a wonderful person, and you're going to find out why today. Now, Susan is a former government employee in the U.S. Customs Service who now works in her husband's chiropractic office, and she's the mother of two grown children. She's a writer. But what is most fascinating about her is that she is a modern-day abolitionist. I actually got to meet Susan a few weeks ago at a contributor luncheon that we held in New Jersey, and I asked her to come on the podcast so that you could hear her story too. So Susan, welcome to the Chicken Soup for the Soul podcast. Hello, thank you. So you wrote this amazing story, which is how we met you. It was in Chicken Soup for the Soul, Dreams and Premonitions. And let's talk about this dream that you had. Okay. Um, I'm not really sure what precipitated it. Um, I was having a growing awareness, I guess, about the issue of human trafficking. Um, At the time, my daughter was living in Australia, uh, going to school there. And I woke up and the dream... It, it's even more like a memory than a dream. It was so real. And in my dream, my daughter was abducted um, into human trafficking. She was, you know, I could, she was walking down a staircase and she was abducted. And um, I woke up in a panic and I knew from the movie Taken that the first 24 hours are the most important and it takes 24 hours to get to Australia. So um, I started looking for flights. Well, I had texted her, and um, when she uh, finally responded um, that she was okay, I had two thoughts. First was, thank God, it's not my daughter. And it was immediately followed by, but it was somebody's daughter. That's incredible. That's incredible that you had such a strong reaction. And even when you knew it wasn't your daughter, you went right to... Well, it's someone else's daughter. So then what did you do? Well, I knew uh, that this was an issue, and the Super Bowl was coming to New Jersey um, the following year, the following winter. And so I think there was a little bit more discussion in the press and things like that about the issue because many people consider the Super Bowl and large sporting events as attraction events for traffickers. So I think I started hearing about it, and I thought, what can I possibly do? You know, I'm just one person. And then a friend had posted on Facebook about items that were made by survivors, and I thought, well, let's talk about this. And someone else who I don't even know said, if you do something, let me know. And that was a really catalyst moment for me because I thought, am I going to do something or am I going to continue to want to do something but never actually do the thing I want to do? So um, there were a couple of other things that I saw on social media. One was um, uh, a picture that said, um, I always thought somebody should do something about that. And then I realized I am somebody. And the other was a quote 
that said, um, nobody makes a greater mistake than he who did nothing because he could only do a little. And so with those quotes and images, I reached out to a friend of mine, and we got together and just started to toss around ideas of what we could do. That's incredible. And then you started this thing called the Justice Network. Well, I didn't intend to start anything. That My friend and I decided that we would show a movie. Um, and in two months' time, we grew from just two of us to 22 people. That I just started talking to people. I, I had no intention of starting anything. I just said, you know, I'm interested in this. We're going to show a movie. 22 people said, I want to be involved in what you're doing. And they, over and over again, I heard people say, I was looking for a way to do something, but I didn't know what to do. And so we had over 100 people, maybe like 130 people at this movie, just organically people sharing about the issue. And because there was so much interest, we did start an organization called Justice Network. Uh, we're just a group of volunteers. We're lay people. We've been making like unbelievable <laughs> uh, difference in our tiny corner of the world. Um, what we did was we uh, joined the New Jersey Coalition Against Human Trafficking, which is a group of 150 uh, diverse member organizations from healthcare and education and law enforcement. And we we're just a little band of volunteers, but you know they welcomed us and. We came up with an idea um, for a social media campaign. Actually, my daughter, who was in Australia, who came back, actually was the one that conceived the idea. And so the coalition used that as their initiative, and it's called the HT Challenge, for HT for halftime, but also for human trafficking. And it's just a way to converse about the issue um, using the football, you know, as just um, a starting point for people to talk. That's incredible. And it, you ended that story saying, I'm a real housewife of New Jersey out to change my corner of the world and do what I can to positively impact the lives of those in peril. And it all started with a nightmare. So after the break, we're going to come back and we're going to talk about what your organization is doing today and how we can all help and actually spot human trafficking in our own communities. Okay, we're back with Susan Panzika, and we're going to talk about her important work fighting against human trafficking, which is a worldwide problem that affects millions of people. Or, Susan, is it actually tens of millions of people? Um, the estimates vary, but um, it's anywhere from 29 to 40 million people are considered to be in slavery today, modern-day slavery. Wow. And I don't think that many of us realize how many of those modern-day slaves are actually in the U.S. and Canada, places where we don't believe this really happens. But it does happen, even in our own communities. Yes, it does. It can happen. There is no limit to where it could be. It's not just um, inner cities or sometimes farms, things like that. There's two types of trafficking. There's labor trafficking and sexual exploitation. Um, and it can happen in, um, you know, in high schools, in middle schools. It can happen in any community. So, and there's no real limit to 
you know, what a human trafficker looks like or what a victim looks like. So how do we spot it in our own communities? Well, there are red flags that um, to look for, um, and it depends on the type of trafficking that we're talking about. So, um, you know, if you see um, a young girl in high school with, um, you know, new, well, first of all, it, some of them are vulnerable just by the nature of their home life and things like that. Um, so sometimes we would see that, you know, someone has, you know, new clothing or accessories or something, or um, she's really tired. And I say she because it's often women, but it can be uh, men and boys as well. Um, the the key component of human trafficking is the exploitation of a person through force, fraud, or coercion of some kind. So it doesn't necessarily have to um, – it, it may look – like um, someone's willingly engaging in prostitution, but if there's any kind of force, fraud, or coercion involved, it doesn't even have to be violence. It can be a threat of any kind. Then it's considered to be human trafficking. And um, there are vulnerabilities. Uh, other warning signs would be um, if it's labor trafficking, someone like has their passport taken, perhaps. So they're working as a nanny or um, in we had a big case in New Jersey for hair weaving or a massage parlor, and, and the person is not free to go where they want to go. And um, one, one question that you, you might have is, what do you do if you see something that's suspect? And we always say, call the national hotline. Um, that is the number one thing to do because the national hotline fields all the calls, um, whether it's from a trafficking victim, whether it is from a, you know, someone with a tip or something like that. So you don't call your local police, you call the national hotline when you're right. suspecting mm -hmm. human trafficking, but you're not exactly sure how to prove it? Right, because what will happen is they will get in touch with the local police, wherever it is, and they, they see if there's trends, they see if there's other calls in the same area, maybe one town to another. The local police would not know, but the national human trafficking hotline would know. So that's what we always recommend. How do people get into this situation? I mean, I know that traffickers will go and reach out to young men or women in other countries and say, oh, we offer you a better life in the United States. We'll smuggle you in through Mexico and, and we'll do this and that for you. And, and, the, and they sign up and then it turns out it was human trafficking. Right. So that does happen. We do work with some shelters where there are foreign nationals that have been rescued. But in New Jersey, for example, over 80% of the victims of human trafficking are U.S. residents, U.S. citizens. So it's not necessarily foreigners that are being trafficked to the United States. It often happens right within our communities. Uh, there's a phrase called boyfriending, where um, a trafficker sees someone who's vulnerable um, and starts to develop a relationship and starts grooming that person to be, you know, they, they don't play their cards right away. You know, they start grooming the person through relationship and then they become um, trafficking victims. And then, you know, once their freedom is taken away and there's different methods of control that a trafficker would use, it could be drugs, but it, it could be many other things. It could just be threats, you know, that, you know, especially if it's a minor 
this is important to note, is that when the person, when the victim is a minor, because they've not reached the age of consent, they are actually a victim of human trafficking, even if there is no coercion. But if they're just engaging willingly, but because of their age, they would still be victims of human trafficking. Is it outright kidnapping, or is it always this more insidious, slow process to get them into yeah, it? Yeah, it's, rare, it's rarely kidnapping. That's unusual. That was my dream, but that is actually not usually the case. So most of the time it's not. It, it, you know, it's an engaging in some kind of relationship, and that draws that person in. And then do you help the victims, the survivors, once they've been rescued? What happens to them next? So it depends if they're a minor or not. If they're 18 and over, there are um, homes. There's also some homes for minors, but that's a great need in our country. Um, It's for the younger victims. Um, Sometimes they go back home to their families. They won't put them there if their home life was a contributing factor to them being trafficked. So each case is really different. And what we do at Justice Network is we don't work directly with victims. We do work with organizations that specialize in working with victims, and we support them. So this is something that I think, you know, we want to talk about what can the layperson do is we do fundraisers. We do donation drives of even cleaning supplies or whatever the safe home would need. We could do that for them. And anybody can do that at any age. I have a Girl Scout I work with that, you know, they've been working on it since middle school, you know, of what projects they can do. Um, Another thing is to, when we're shopping, to look for something that is fair trade or ethically produced. So in areas like products like coffee and chocolate, those are two huge industries that use a lot of slave labor. So we could make a choice to only buy fair trade coffee, then... Mm -hmm nobody would make anything else because that's where the demand is. So if we focus on ending the demand for trafficked products, um, if men realize that these girls are somebody's daughter um, and they would treat them that way, like if it was their own daughter, then we would end the demand for human trafficking and there wouldn't be need for these organizations. Right now it's highly profitable. It's the second largest and fastest growing criminal enterprise. And so there's an economic incentive for traffickers. But if there's no demand for it, they would do something else. So, Susan, thank you for joining us today to talk about this important issue. How can people learn more about you and what website can they go to to learn more about what they can do about human trafficking? Sure. About me, I have a personal, my writer-speaker website is my name, susanpanzika.com. Um, they could also go to justice-network.org. On our website, we have a resource page if people wanted to purchase items that were produced ethically. It's probably the most exhaustive list out there that I've seen, and I take no credit for it, but my colleague at Justice Network has compiled it. The New Jersey Coalition Against Human Trafficking website, and also the um, Department of Homeland Security has something called the Blue Campaign. And the Blue Campaign provides posters and handouts and flyers and videos and a lot of information for lay people regarding human trafficking. Um, also, people on their social media, you know, they can follow us, Justice Network on Facebook or Network Justice on uh, Twitter. 
um, we have we're really active with that, and there are links to other articles and just ways that you know people can just get more informed because awareness is the first step. Well, thank you. I really appreciate you sharing this. I, it's amazing that all of this incredible work that you do started with a nightmare that luckily was not true. Thanks for joining us, and thank you to our listeners for joining us today. Come back for our next episode for more stories as we continue our summer of Chicken Soup for the Soul inspiration and entertainment. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.